I mean, half the reason it takes four times longer than it should to get anywhere on the Blue Ridge Parkway is that when you come around that turn at like, you know, mile marker 402 or whatever, and you see it just standing there in the middle of the wood, I mean, it is inspiring. It is awe-inspiring. And people slow down to a crawl to look. The driver who's got loved ones and family members in the car, it is not safe. That's how inspiring and effective it is to be in nature. It, it pulls you in. Not much else causes me to take pause. Welcome to the Nature Untold podcast. On this podcast, we share stories of all kinds of addiction, recovery, and sobriety within the outdoor community and industry. Hosted by John Holnire, produced by me, Emily Holland, on this show, you'll hear stories from all parts of our outdoor community, from the weekend warriors to the folks summiting Everest and everything in between. From folks struggling with alcohol to folks struggling with drugs to codependency and love addiction. We represent all types of recovery stories. Our goal is simple and twofold. First, we aim to normalize these types of discussions within the outdoor spaces we love, play, and teach in. And second, we want people who are struggling to know they aren't alone, that we're all in this together. We're so glad you're here. Now let's get on to the show. This episode of the Nature Untold podcast is brought to you by Bigger Life Adventures. Bigger Life Adventures offers yoga and adventure retreats for deep healing. They believe in community, nature, yoga, and new adventures. These retreats are designed with recovery in mind. The founders, Carrie and Zach, are both in long-term recovery from addiction and proud of it. It doesn't stop there though. Everyone is recovering from something, whether it's trauma, substance abuse, heartbreak, stress, or just the disconnection of life in our high-tech world. Bigger Life Adventures offers discounted recovery scholarships because they believe that these experiences should be accessible to all. To apply to a scholarship, send an email to info at biggerlifeadventures.com to share your story. You can find all of their upcoming adventures at www.biggerlifeadventures.com retreats. And use the code NATUREUNTOLD to get $50 off any retreat. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Support for Nature Untold comes from Sawyer Products. From water filters to insect repellent, Sawyer makes the gear you use to get outside. On top of that, every product you buy helps bring clean water programs to people in need domestically, internationally, and in disaster relief missions all around the world. We appreciate Sawyer's support and their mission. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Nature Untold. Today, we're sitting down with Matt Nannis. Matt is the founder of Pivot Point WNC. They do therapeutic adventure work uh, based around sobriety and recovery in Western North Carolina. Um, had a really great conversation with Matt about Pivot Point and also about his story. I think y'all are really going to get a lot out of it. So let's get to it. (laughs) 
All right. Thanks a lot, everyone, for being back with us for another episode of Nature Untold. Today, we're here with Matt Nanis. Matt, how's it going? Uh, really good, thanks. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. I, I love getting to talk to you this, this bright and early in the morning, starting the day off right. Will you fill the people in a little bit on what you're up to out there in North Carolina? I am the founder and executive director of Pivot Point WNC. We're a therapeutic adventure company. Uh, we are in Asheville, North Carolina, which is in beautiful western North Carolina. Uh, it's kind of the southeast region mecca for outdoor behavioral health and uh, also just activities in general. Mountains, some of the oldest mountain chains in the world. A lot of rivers running through it, plenty of mountain biking, rock climbing, whitewater rafting, all within a, a stone's throw, as they say. So we've gone to great lengths to create an organization that can amplify access to that work because I personally got a lot of healing and transformation through my own experience in the woods. And I felt that there was an opportunity to provide intentional facilitation in a, an adventure-based setting to folks who might otherwise not have access. And, and somewhere in there with a couple of particulars and threaded in between is, is the birth and evolution of Pivot Point. Man, that's beautiful. It's almost like you've said that a couple times before. That's that's perfect. <laughs> Once or twice. I, I still think there's a little more room for polishing, but yeah. No, man, that's that's on the money. I love it. And I love that you're out there in Western North Carolina. Uh, you know, you and I had a, a chat previously uh, about my experiences out there. I just I love that area of the country. It's so beautiful. Asheville's such a cool town. And it makes me just, you know, being able to talk to you and hear about what you all have going on makes me remember my happy days being out there. It's a fun playground. I mean, I so I grew up in New England where, you know, the, the outdoor elements are are abundant, right? But outside of Boston, I still got to be in the car for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. You know, if I want to go up rock climbing, I'm, I'm driving up to Mount Romney. And it's it's taken a good chunk of time. And just being in this area, we, we really are an epicenter. I mean, it's 30 minutes and I can be just off the parkway and on some of the most profound landscapes in the in the region. So it's pretty, pretty awesome. That's some of my earliest memories of being outside is off the parkway with my uncle. He lived out there. And we would go drive up off the parkway and hike and fish, catch little brook trout out nice. there. Just beautiful. I remember hating it when I was a little, because I was like seven and eight and nine, you know, and I was like, why do we have to hike so far? Yeah. Why can't we just go fish one of these roadside rivers? Yeah. And now I'm just like wishing I was out there every day where you are. Yeah, you got it. I mean, we, we, we touch on that metaphor specifically or, or most consistently when we're doing uh, mountain bike outings. You know, everybody's a big fan of the everybody's a big fan of the downhill on the switchbacks. And, and uh, <laughs> it's like, listen, we can't get to the downhill until we go into granny gear and get up to the first, you know, to the first overlook. Like You got to earn it. You know, it's it's almost like you can't you can't avoid the metaphors in any of these sports that we do. I mean, it's 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 interesting. <laughs> it It really is. One of the one of the beautiful elements of of what it is that we do and where it is that we do it is, uh, you know, that meaning making I, I for a brief point in my life and there was still active alcoholism in, in involved. So it was very brief. And fortunately, nobody got hurt, including myself, but especially students like I was fancying myself to be a high school English teacher. Mm. And they used to always say, you know, this this 50 50 split, you know, because you can come in with a with a plan of attack and a and a lesson plan, but then you got to back off. And let the class go with it where it's going to go with it. And 
not anything I was ever really able to embrace because it wasn't anything I was able to unfold because I was almost always under the influence of something. And, you know, fast forward to a couple of years into sobriety where I got some of the legitimate formalized curriculum around the work that we're doing from, from some great mentors and that 50, 50 existence balance in, in the natural environment, as far as meaning making and, and intentional setting intention setting is, is, is phenomenal. It's overwhelming. I mean, it really is just, you know, all that stuff, the biophilia science of awe. And there's a reason that one feels the way one feels when, when in the natural environment, and we can just lean into that with some intentionality and, and, and make for some good pivot points for some really good access to change. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. I, I like that thought and you know, the, the openness and the willingness for things to be what they are and not have to fit a perfect script or not have to fit exactly what you have your expectation in your mind. Right. That's such a, that's such a true thing for anything involving sobriety or, or approaching life, you know, as, as AA would say, life on life's terms or, or anything like that. It's just like figuring out how to go into things with, with a goal, with a, with a mission and all those, all those good positive intentions, but no solid expectation that has to happen that you're like clinging on to. Let's, let's go in a little bit about just a, a little background about your story and how you ended up where you are there in Asheville. Uh, sure. Um, I'm, I'm from outside of Boston, as I said, Framingham, Massachusetts is where I was raised. And in 2013, after a long, tired, exhausting journey through pretty aggressive alcoholism and, and substance abuse, and it was abuse. I know we've all kind of geared towards substance use disorder, and, and I'm, I'm all about that, and I can mm. appreciate the power of words, but in self-reflection in my story, it was 100% abuse. There's no hesitation in using that term. Um, I had an intervention. I was intervened upon by people who at the time had a lot more care and concern for myself and my well-being than I did. And as a result, I was sent down to Florida for 90 days in the summer. And I think when we first talked about this, we, we discussed how less than ideal withdrawing from drugs and alcohol is in the summer heat in Florida. Um, but yeah. that was, that was my experience. That sounds pretty rough. It was, you know, it, it was what it was. I, I, I would imagine if I was in, I mean, there's a lot of air conditioning in Florida too. So it's not as brutal as all that. It's not like I was out on the street. I did have, um, I'm blessed to have a, a family and friends and loved ones who, who were able to provide resources for me to have access to, um, another plan, another way of living, at least the opportunity. And after, after treatment in Florida, I was planning to come back up to Boston. And I, uh, basically Boston told me they thought that that wasn't the best idea. <laughs> um, I had, I had had some conversations with, with Boston police due to some of the behaviors towards the tail end of my active addiction. I had anticipated being able to crash on people's couches or, or guest bedrooms. And, and I really just, you know, I was still holding on to some, a, a considerable amount of delusions and, and kind of rose colored glasses as to the, the, the consequences of my actions over, over a pretty long run of active use. And it was made clear to me by the woman who actually ran my intervention that, you know, she had just spoken to my parents and a couple of the people in the intervention, they're like, yeah, we, we just, just not sure. You're doing great. 
I'm just not sure that uh, <laughs> just not sure that Boston is the best place. And I flipped out. I absolutely flipped out. I was in treatment. I was like the golden child poster boy for treatment. I knew the schedule back and forth because what I didn't know is is uh, at the time. I mean, I learned it on day 32 of a 90 day stay in treatment. But I thought 90 days was like a 90 day linear curriculum for treatment. This was my first time in treatment, so I knew no different. It turns out that 90 days in treatment is really just three cycles of 28 days in treatment. Huh. At least that was my experience. I, I yeah. didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like because there were 90 days on day 35, we were at a new chapter that those who only went for 30 days didn't have access to. Sure, sure. So by the time I'm at like day 80, I know the program pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm reminding texts what time we're supposed to go here and that. You know, a lot of it's my control nonsense and, and you know, certainly fed in the ego. It's an it's a interesting, fascinating thing, the, the way the ego kicks in, especially in a setting um, like that. It, it happened again when I was in a sober house. But, yeah, I was told that Boston wasn't an option. I, I had mapped out a halfway house or an aftercare program in South Boston, I think. Mm. Jeez, I'm not 100% sure at this point. They had, they had given me access to an intern to, to the internet and a computer, so I did like a, a kind of initial interview with a program in Boston and was going to figure out what to do. And just like I was going to go back, I was going to go back to that life, only wasn't going to get drunk and high. That was, sure. that was the thought. That was the plan. And I think it was authentic. I think I, I genuinely felt that that was the plan. And then I got this phone call that no one else thought that was a good plan. And I lost it. You know, I threw a tantrum. I, I reminded everybody in that facility that I was still emotionally a seven-year-old. Yeah. And at the time, there was a, a mentor in the program who, because I was there as long as I was, had been willing and agreed to kind of take me under his wing and start reading uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And everyone else was trying to assure me and defend the decision to not go to Boston telling me they were just, everyone was just telling me. And and I'm sure all of their, all of their feedback and all of their comments, I would imagine the majority of them were right on track and a hundred percent accurate or maybe 90% accurate, but they were telling me and I couldn't stand that. You yeah. know? And I was already in defensive mode. Yeah. And, and my, my sponsor at the time, he just asked me a couple of questions, you know, he's like, what, what's going on? You know, so-and-so says you're, you're kind of flipped out a little bit. And I was like, they won't, don't they know how hard I've been working down here? They won't, they think I can't go back to Boston. And he was like, Oh, this is about like aftercare. He's like, well, where's the, where's the house? And I told him and he was like, Oh, I don't really know Boston that well. Is that near, I think he said, is that near the Boston garden or TD bank North garden? I was like, yeah, pr pretty close, pretty close. He's like, cool. Isn't, isn't that where Doug lived and Doug, because I've been working with, with this man for a little bit, Doug was one of my most reliable dealers uh, when no one else had anything doug always had the goods right sure so it's like yeah it's pretty close and he was like <laughs> he's like i'm just curious like how do you get like i don't i again i don't know the area how would you get from the from the sober house to doug's house and oh, without, wow without hesitation wow. john i gave him turn by turn directions sure you could see I it hadn't, i hadn't thought of it once as far as I was concerned, but without hesitation, I gave him turn by turn directions. And wow. before I got to like Lansdowne street or, at, well, sorry, that's Fenway park. Before I got to the last turn to where his condo was, I was like, Oh, oh no, I, I don't <laughs> think I can go back to Boston. Wow. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it was it was nuts. So they suggested this place in in Asheville as a as a sober living program, and I the person who picked up the phone when I called super hesitant. I had never gone through like the the typical kind of acute care trajectory of treatment. So I, you know, this was first time in in primary residential treatment and then I I definitely had no idea of through experience of what a halfway house or sober living house was, only from movies or pop culture or or which is pretty depre- it's a pretty bleak portrayal. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. the stories I was hearing in treatment right? Which, which were, you know, some were lovely, some were not, but they were skewed. Sure. I mean, I, the, the place that I picked in Boston, I picked because, uh, a young woman in my cohort in treatment was like, Oh, you should go to this place. I'm like, is it good? And she was like, she goes, yeah, I've been there like six times. It's amazing. That's not good. <laughs> and, and I was like, I didn't know any better. So I was like, Oh, six times. It six must times. Be, wow. Back, it must be great. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the degree of just, <laughs> of just, just ignorance that I had, you know, I, I did, I don't know what I don't know that a repeat, I didn't know the implications of, of continuing to go back. And that doesn't necessarily reflect poorly on the program that she was talking about. Uh, you know, it's just life happens and shows up and, and we do what we do. It was made pretty clear through, through that kind of Socratic process, uh, that, that maybe I should continue to take advice and suggestions from other people and and start to really lean into the fact that other people actually do have my best interest in mind. Yeah. They're not they're not trying to cut my legs out from under me. They're they're trying to love on me in a way that I'm just not familiar with because I've spent so much time not allowing that for myself and certainly not allowing that for anyone else to let that seep in, you know. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to hear that story and I love that all the all the detail in there because it's so true that like there are all these these kind of sayings or, or realisms or whatever you want to call them in early recovery, especially. But one of them that always stood out to me was, you know, change your people, places and things or whatever it is. And like, you know, going back to the same situation you were in, you know, that it, it never works out. And I don't think it's necessarily true that nobody can go back to their situation that they were in before. If they've changed their mindset and they have the support that they need and all those things, I think it's possible but it just kind of it, it reminds me of why those those sayings and those those things exist, because, you know, everybody kind of tries to go and do the same thing when they're when they're getting sober. And it's so helpful to have that outside perspective where, you know, this guy sounds like he really knew how to get to you, where it's not telling you what to do. It's asking you questions. And it's so hard to get through to somebody and, you know, you're already, what, 90 days in or 80 days in to a program. So you're doing serious work already. But to get through to somebody that early in recovery or somebody who's still in, in active addiction, it's just like a good example of how many different ways you have to approach it or have to be there to be helpful and just show up and, you know, be there with love and support and all those things and not necessarily be prescriptive in your thoughts, Right. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a theme in his, you know, grateful that I went down there. You know, I, I'm not someone who who says things like, you know, it, it was exactly what I needed because I think I've proven I've proven one thing. It's that I don't really know exactly what I've needed. I can tell you that, like, the, the you know, the stories and the reflections that I'll share on this. And, and anytime I tell my story, these are the things that happen to me. I, I, if I'm if I'm asked to tell my story at a at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting 
you know, I'll tell you what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. And I also provide the caveat that like, you know, I'm, I'm coming into this. If you were to ask me tomorrow to tell my story, like, listen, I've been doing this to varying degrees of engagement, you know, for over nine and a half years. So for me to tell you now what it was like then, I mean, I can, I can give you some talking points. I could probably throw out some specific dates if I actually put some effort in, but I'm looking back on it from the perspective of the lived experience and the sober timeline that I've, I've, I've accumulated in over nine years. And, and so the insights and the reflections of what it was like then are fueled by the knowledge, by all the missteps and challenges that I've walked through now. So, and, you know, and I'm not gonna, I, I, I try real hard not to say, you know, and this was exactly this, I just heard exactly what I needed. I, you know, I mean, this is what I heard. I feel confident that this is what I heard. Looking back now, you know that that was what you needed, but at the yeah, time it felt, it probably felt wrong or you were just having to place trust somewhere. Or I didn't, or I didn't even acknowledge it, you know, like this could be, this could, I could tell you about conversations looking back on, on the past that didn't occur to me until five years after the fact, because, because they weren't significant. And then I got to wonder if in fact they ever really happened, or maybe I'm just combining, you know, first sponsor, second sponsor, something I hold from, heard from an old timer in a meeting, something I once said to a sponsee, maybe I'm just conflating all that stuff. And it still creates like a valuable pro-social, productive, purpose-driven narrative in my life. So there's still value to it. And as, as an alcoholic, I think I have to be particularly cognizant and cautious around speaking in absolutes or definitive terms, because I don't know what I don't know. And, the, and what I know today, there's, there's a decent chance tomorrow I'll be like, oh, shit, that, that's no longer true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I feel like that happens all the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's really amazing to be able to look back with that perspective and see like, you know, at the time I, I feel the same way. I have, I have similar amount of sobriety to you. And I look back to the days when I was first getting sober and the struggles that I had. And it's, it feels like a different, like a lifetime ago, you know? And so I, I try my best to keep telling myself the stories and to keep remembering, but really there's some, there's some level of, of, truth to the fact that you can only remember what you're telling yourself in your head and things change. So it's really good. You know, that's why a lot of people like, you know, to maintain their sobriety by being around people who are new in sobriety, because you get to see those things again, where it's like, you know, a a newcomer to a meeting or somebody in one of your programs or whatever it is, you get to see, oh, wow, I totally forgot that I used to do that exact same thing. And you kind of get to remember it, what it was really like, not just the the boilerplate kind of like story in your head. Yeah, tangibly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a visceral experience when 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 facilitating a group, when you're out in the woods and you're you're working with a group. And when when I first started out, it was just me doing everything and had a couple of halfway houses that I would take out on the weekends and I was working a full time gig elsewhere. And I, you know, at some point during treatment. I was just sort of like, all right, there's a degree of acceptance here. And to be honest, if I just kind of follow the program and the suggestions, then the clock will tick faster. I found that like when I was antagonistic and, and oppositional to the, to the prescription of treatment, the days dragged on forever. 
But John, the second I was like, all right, wait, what are we doing? What's next? Ask me the question. I'll do a check-in. I'll, I'll circle the smiley faces or frowny faces on this piece of paper <laughs> that, that accurately reflect how I'm feeling today. Like, let's do it. Oh yeah. Good is not an emotion. I get it. All that stuff. When I was engaged, the day flew by. Yeah. And suddenly, instead of counting like, oh my God, I got 73 more fucking days of this thing. Because mm-hmm. that's what it was, you know, and it was 73 days and I can get back to my life, which and that sentence in and of itself is just uh, overflowing with delusion because the life, quote unquote, that I was striving to get back to, counting the days to get back to was one of like, no money, no esteemable actions, a reputation of mis- misleading, manipulation, theft, dishonesty. And the only people who knew who I were was, good grammar, the only people who knew who I was <laughs> were the people who were either helping me get drinks from behind the bar or giving me a whole bunch of pills on, on spec because they knew that I that what they did know is that I had the ability, independent of the means, to get the funding to pay for those on the back end. And... I mean, that was what I was really striving to get back to. And I think maybe in my head, I was like, well, I just want to get back to Boston because that's where my friends are. That's the place that I knew. But I couldn't tell you about any of the, of the, of the Sox games that I went to with my friends. I could tell you about, you know, the shooters and the chasers that we did at the tequila bar on Lansdowne before we went in. And I could tell you what apartment we went to by the fourth inning because we never made it past like the sixth because we decided we needed to go get some Coke because otherwise we had drank too much and we wouldn't stay up. That was Boston. Yeah, the priorities are all all jumbled yeah. there. Yeah. It was a mess. It was a mess. So it just somewhere in there, uh, you know, through that conversation with with Ron, it just became, all right, I, like you're telling me, I have some of the tools, and I'm on the path to acquire additional tools to navigate life on life's terms. Something you said at the beginning of this talk, and 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 if that's true, and if not. <laughs> if everybody isn't in fact lying to me because everyone was telling me the same damn thing. Yeah. So let's maybe just lean into the possibility. And my current sponsor says this all the time that not everybody is going out of their way to tell me the same lie. <laughs> and let's just, let's just see what happens, you know? And that meant not going to Boston. That meant coming to Asheville, North Carolina, which I had never even heard of. I thought they said Nashville. I was like, why the hell would I go to Tennessee? Honestly. (laughs) Music City, North Carolina, man. Yeah, I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's so true that like the egocentricity that it takes to think that everybody could possibly all be trying to get together to, to screw you over in such a particular way. Like, yeah. There's a group text that's like, oh, I think Matt's going to uh, to the Red Door meeting tonight. So let's make sure that we get the right people over there and let's make sure that they share on how they have a design for living that works in all situations. That Let's make sure that they lie to him by telling him that they can only keep the, the, the gifts of recovery through the grace of God by giving it away. I had it in my head that maybe not that detailed, but that there was this elaborate Machiavellian ploy to trick me into something. And even if that's true, John, even if that, that delusion was accurate, it was a ploy to trick me into living a life of purpose, esteemable actions, right? Some degree of altruism. I mean, I, you know, that fall, that's a, that's a beacon to aim for, right? So you fall short of that, but like on a path towards productivity and pro social engagement. So even worst case scenario, I was right. That's an improvement. Yeah. That's a lot better than like, 
you know, the, the, those you know, stealing your wallet and helping you look for it type situations or, or waiting at the Boston Logan International Airport cell phone lot for someone to come in from a, another state with a bottle of something for us to do an exchange. Like, I mean, these are the things that I, these are the situations I had previously put myself in. Now I'm standing in front of like, county commissioner steering committees for opioid settlement funding, not so that I can get a fix, but so that I can maybe have uh, a percentage of that funding to help amplify access to work that we're doing in the woods for kids who are marginalized, underserved, or underinsured. So it's like it, those one, those, those tiny pebbles in that stream, you know, that, that once I would drop the the pebble would be, I'm just going to go out and and have a, have a beer. My sponsor says, you know, sometimes I just wanted to go out for, one beer and some chicken wings. That was the intention, you know, and that, that intention would ripple out into every facet of my life, lies, deceit, theft, dangerous situations, uh, deplorable, uh, uh, lack of, of any moral fiber or implications. And today the pebble that I drop in my pond is just to engage in a program of recovery to the best of my ability. And I don't even need to like assess and quantify that ability, but, but to, to, to follow through with the intention of engaging in a program of recovery, not necessarily on my timeline, because my timeline is, is, is overflowing with impatience, but that one pebble ripples out into every facet of my life too. And I find myself, you know, there's, there's this concept of, uh, I think it's luck of motion, right? So the more I'm in motion and the more action I'm doing, the longer uh, kind of surface area I have to attract what is often perceived as luck, where really it's just synchronicity, right? So if I'm constantly in motion as a result of implementing and practicing these principles in all my affairs, I'm open. My world, my world gets bigger. My world expands and it can ripple out if I, if I allow it to, if I can stay the hell out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. That makes that makes so much sense. And it is it's the same thing, right? It's it's dropping the pebble into the pond, except the resulting waves, the resulting ripples are totally different ripples, right? It's like before it was all kind of negativity that fueled negativity that fueled, you know, bad things happening. And now it's all these positive little things. You're able to show up to those meetings to try to find the funding that you need, which then leads to the other thing, which leads to meeting that person, which leads to being able to like, you know, grow, grow what you're doing in such a positive direction. And so it's just like the the results are so positive instead of, you know, the the negative things that happened before with the effect. Completely. I, I think in the, in that, in that metaphor, right? Like, in active use in addiction, I was standing, some element of me, some personality trait of me, characteristic of me was on the shoreline all the way around that, that, that lake, that pond. So what I was doing was to, so that it would ripple out into every element of my personal experience. Today, I'm standing in the middle of the pond, I'm dropping the, I'm dropping the pebble in, and I'm watching and hoping and trying to take action steps to assure that those ripples go out to, to the unknown, to people I don't know, to those who work in our program, to, to those who don't work in our program. It doesn't matter. It is not about pivot point. It's about like, man, I took, I took for 20 something years. Yeah. Right. Like I, I think I have, I know that I have, I agreed. That was what, I didn't know what the fuck I was agreeing to when I said I would go to any length, you know, but every now and again, when I feel overwhelmed, it's like, all right, well, let's, 
let's reflect on on work life balance. Let's make sure that we're not overdoing this because I can't give can't pour from an empty cup. And damn, I I said I'd go to any length, and if this is part of the deal, I mean, I owe, I owe. That's a that's a big uh, that's a big spectrum, a big a big ask, any length, and to be able to keep yeah. that perspective right. I mean, that's that's all you can do is keep trying to give and and do your best. And it seems like it's really paid off for you. Let's, let's go back to that where we were with the, the move to Asheville, not Nashville. Yeah. (laughs) How, so how did you turn that, you know, moving to, to your sober house in Asheville? How did you, how did that grow into what you have and what you're doing now? Yeah. It's not a knock on Nashville, by the way. I just was you know, bad at geography. Another great city. Another great city. Yeah. Uh, well, I, um, I think I was, I was 33 when I, when I landed and when I moved in and my roommate was 19, I think I, I couldn't even tell you his name at this point. And I, I had come from, I think self-perception of my, my role, my status. That's what it was. I had status at the, at the recovery program. Sure. You were the, you were the oldest, oldest, uh, member at 90 days. I mean, you can't be longer, can you? I knew that, uh, there were some people who, who <laughs> on their 12th, on their me. 12th time. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, like I, I like organized a beach. I was like, we're on the beach. Can we do a beach volleyball tournament? And then the winner gets to go to like, I don't know, California pizza kitchen or something. I don't know what it was, <laughs> but like I, I, I left from being I mean, I ran it. I was always really good. I mean, this is the story of my my use and consumption of alcohol and mind-altering substances. I could always figure out the system so that I could best manipulate it and get what I wanted out of it. It, it was no different in treatment. That's one of those things that is like when you're using, and it's something I've noticed across almost all of my conversations I've had through Nature Untold and through conversations in life where I meet other sober people, but all of that energy that you put in and all the scheming and all of those those tricks and tools that you put in to whatever your drug of choice was and getting it and using, it's like a superpower when you learn how to turn it and point it in a positive direction, right? hundred percent. It's it's amazing. I mean, I, I asked my sponsor to sponsor me, my first sponsor, because I was a I had observed that other people and you weren't supposed to get a sponsor when you were in treatment. Like this is I don't know, they had a whole templated response for it. I think it was because you were only there for 28 days and they were like, yeah, you'll just have to start over again when you leave here kind of a thing. But I was there for a little bit longer. I, there were a few of us who had done like the three month or longer program. And those who had sponsors were kind of getting, they weren't getting like their own luxury apartment, but they were getting in the context of treatment, special privileges. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I asked for a sponsor. That's why I pursued reading the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was to manipulate a system. It was to get more for me. It was self-serving a hundred percent. And it wasn't like the recovery is a selfish thing. It, it wasn't that it was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to get to leave early. I'm going to get like extra sun chips in the snack bar, whatever the <laughs> hell it was. I get to sit yeah. shotgun in the 15 passenger van on the way to the meeting. So I can put my iPod in. Those were the things iPod dating myself ipod so (laughs) this was a listening device so yeah yeah yeah, that did that could not make phone calls (laughs) or take pictures so i went from that to living in a program that is i mean it's amazing it's it's now been around like i think 15 years in a in an area that is 
abundant, saturated kind of uh, with with recovery programs um, in the greater Asheville area. But I went there and it was it was the only context I had was what we were talking about, like social media, movies, pop culture, and, and what I had heard at, at treatment. And my roommate was 19 and like, I couldn't, I, I didn't really try, but the excuse I used was that I couldn't connect with him. So I wanted to leave, like almost immediately within half a day, I wanted to leave. I was like, or, or change rooms, but there weren't rooms to change uh, into. And they were like, listen, you just got here. This is a whole lot of new, right? So let's just ride out the week. I think I landed, I know I landed on a Wednesday because the first meeting I went to uh, was an NA meeting that met on Wednesday nights and it was my 90th day. And I had to like, they skipped the 90 day uh, key tag. Mm. And I had to like, like they went from, from two months to, to nine months and, or to six months. And I was like, I, 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 <laughs> excuse and me I, like, like i had to like and it was a big i mean especially for a newcomer it was a, yeah there were a lot of people in that room and i had to like holler to get my like i earned that key tag but <laughs> give me that i i i earned this thing yeah but so i'm in i'm in a halfway house I'm, I'm i'm it's starting to very quickly sink in like i'm in a halfway house and every na- negative narrative sentence opinion thought connotation that could possibly be applied to that situation i applied you know i I reverted way back to my initial experience of being in treatment i was like but these motherfuckers need to be here you know this is like wow unbelievable i'm different than these people what am i doing here yeah 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 so one of the staff was like listen it's new hang out like give us till monday we're gonna go hiking on sunday if Monday you still feel this kind of way, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll help you figure out whatever's next for you. And, uh, on Sunday, this program had Sunday, fun day, adventure Sunday. I think they might've called it one or the other, or maybe both. And we went hiking. Something catchy. Yeah. It rhymed, I think. And we went hiking. I couldn't tell you where we went. I couldn't tell you who else was in the van, but I believe the gentleman's name, the contractor who worked for the program, his name was Adam. Uh, he was a teacher, I think middle school teacher. So he just kind of had that teacher vibe. And I don't really know if I can extrapolate on that. He just, he was like a, a approachable, genuine and, and loved, was kind of jazzed about going hiking and he took us hiking. And I don't recall any particular like groups or um, intention setting or um, even like experiential anything really i don't think we studied flora fauna though i think he could identify some stuff that we later learned but it was just we weren't in the house for like those four hours just a group of admittedly strangers but just a group of guys hiking and there was no connotation of a group of guys at a halfway house hiking we were just hiking and it felt there was a a lightning a lessening of this self-assigned shame in that moment while we were hiking and and you know, a couple of conversations aside on the trail. By the time we got back, I was like, we do this every week. And he was like, yeah, as long as, as long as you're around, you're not working, you're not, you know, at school or at church or whatever it is that you do on a Sunday, I'm going to be doing this every Sunday. So I went from get me out of this place to completing what at the time was a, a suggested stay of six months, getting from hike to hike. Yeah. I just from Sunday to Sunday, it charged me up, whatever you want to say. Uh, it, it, it grounded me really provided clarity that 
I could navigate the rest of my week. I think around Friday, I started to get a little uneasy every Friday, but then I, then I could just ride that anticipation of we're going to go hiking again on Sunday. Isn't that wild that, that an experience as simple as hiking and being outside can do that when you're in the right frame of mind for that? Because had you gone hiking, and I'm sure you had hiked in your life before when you were using, it doesn't, it doesn't do it for you. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't make those big realizations or provide even the same space until you're in a place where you can really go into it and, and get everything out of it that, that you need and look forward to it every week and, and be ready to, to be open to experience it for what it really is. Right. Well, well, and that's, and that's it just to be open to it. I mean, in, in active use, I was hiking, it was transactional. I was hiking because my friends were hiking to a rock climbing spot and my friends after rock climbing, where we would camp, we would get drunk and we would get high. So that's why I was going rock climbing. So it was transactional. I will tolerate this so that this can happen. This is what I need to happen at the time. And it, it became transactional for me in, in, in sobriety as well. At the time, that first Sunday, it was just hold off till like, we'll, we'll do it Monday. You're going to go hiking on Sunday and just we'll check in after you go hiking. And I had no, I didn't know what that meant. Like I had no set expectations. I just knew it was kind of part of what I had to ride out until, until Monday. And I wasn't prepared for, oh man, like this 19 year old who I can't stand for no real reason whatsoever, except that maybe I saw myself and I was jealous that he was in there at 19 and I was in there at 33 but we were just hiking, not necessarily friends, more or less strangers, but we, we all had that commonality, even if we weren't really naming it. Yeah. It would, I, for whatever reason, and this is why I can't, I, I avoid saying, you know, it was exactly what I needed. I, cause I don't know what happened. I just, for, for a beautiful combination of, of scenarios, I was open enough and receptive enough to tap in for that one set of a couple of hours and be like, you know what? Like, I feel okay right now. I didn't feel amazing. I wasn't doing backflips. There were no, you know, cartoon characters dancing around my head, Uh, but I felt okay. I felt like maybe this is what it feels like just to be Matt. Maybe it's as simple as that. It's not Matt, the addict or Matt, the alcoholic. Maybe this is, maybe this might work, you know? And that, I mean, and that was it. That got me through six months of a, of a sober residence that I, that was lovely and still is wonderful. And I just never really wanted to be a part of it. I love the way you phrased that. I think you said a beautiful combination of scenarios. Mm. And I think that that's super powerful in it. It's fitting to the fact, and it speaks to the fact that, you know, for some people, like you, it w- it was hiking at that point in time. For other people in their recovery or in life, it could be some other activity or some other thing that comes along at the right time with the right people surrounding it and and the right intention from from you. And I think that that's just a really beautiful way to describe it because being open to those things is is a hard thing, especially when you're that early in your sobriety. So that's, that's pretty amazing that that registered the way it did for you. Yeah. I I am amazed at, at, at the majority of the proof of my experiences is pretty miraculous to reflect on. It's something that I try to hold on to, And it's sort of, uh, it's kind of a challenge, right? Cause it's, it is the underlying motivation of, of the organization that I started is like, Listen, I think our our initial tagline was have an experience, right? Not have 
our experience, have an experience, like an invitation to engage in whatever experience you're having. Right. And, and it, it, it came up because I, I, I don't know why I, I don't know. I liked it enough to put it under the actual logo that a, a buddy of mine created for me. And, uh, I was in like the Trader Joe's parking lot or something. And at this point, like fast forward, I had gotten a micro loan and, and got a vehicle. So I didn't have to borrow programs, minivans. And, mm. and it was on the logo. the logo was on the car and I was putting groceries, but that was like also my car. That was all I had. I was putting groceries away. So the door was open and somebody like in the parking lot was just like, what kind of an experience? And I'm, I'm assuming, you know, that this is a person who is, is on the phone and yelling at someone It's certainly not talking to me. And that, so I, it, I don't pay any mind to it. And then the voice is much closer and, and repeats the question a little louder than I think was necessary, but fine. <laughs> Maybe it's cause I didn't respond the first time. And, and, and this gentleman just says, you know, what kind of an experience? And I look over and he's pointing at the door. It says, have an experience. What kind of an experience? And I had never been, confronted with that question before and i just in conversation just said man whatever conversation whatever whatever experience you're having just engage in it like try not to separate yourself from the experience that you're having take some ownership of it and i heard myself saying this and i was like that's i wonder if that's not what i experienced that first hike with adam and those guys um and i wonder if that's not really when you, when you boil it down to some rue, what it is that I'm trying to just invite and, and provide an opportunity to access for folks. And, you know, along the way, it's, it's not just me in the woods. I mean, to be frank, it's not me in the woods anymore. So I don't even facilitate these groups anymore. I, I sit, I sit behind a computer at a, at a desk and I, I, you know, I write grants and, and look at budgets and try and figure out the best way to support my team. And that team is comprised by very smart, compassionate individuals with legitimate academic, clinical, and in the field clinical experience. So though what we do is not therapy, right? Like we are not operating as clinicians or, or my team who are clinicians are not operating as clinicians in the woods, um, which is why we lean on therapeutic as opposed to therapy. And at the same time, they have the training and experience to help, you know, re-regulate clients when we're, when we're having intentional psychoed group discussions in the middle of the woods, or when we're doing a brief mindfulness exercise, which is designed to get to the thing under the thing, under the thing, if we're going to expose that stuff, cause I want you dysregulated. I think that that, that discomfort is that growth edge. That's where there's going to be some aha moments, some, some, some opportunities and access points to rewrite some scripts that, that maybe I have in my head for the last 20 years. Cause I don't think there's another way to be me. Right. No doubt. Yeah. So being able to recruit and hire and then take care of and support our staff who has this clinical knowledge so that they're, they're aptly trained and prepared to help individuals kind of get back to center or as close to center as possible. So we, we kind of want to Humpty Dumpty on the, on the trail, right? Like we, we kind of want to bust you apart a little bit, but the goal is at the end of that outing through intentional facilitation, we're going to help put you back together or we're going to help you realize that you have the resilience and the strength and the strategies to help put yourself back together. Because that really, at the end of the day is what we're trying to do. Like what we're doing in the woods, what we're doing on the river, on the lake, top of the mountain, 
climbing, scaling up the mountain, any of that, any of that stuff, any of those settings are designed to practice theoretical coping skills, self-regulation skills, interpersonal skills, emotional intelligence, all that stuff. And then it's day programming, right? So then it's take that with you, go back to your halfway house, go back to your dorm, go back to your own apartment, go back to your life, your part-time job, your part-time school, whatever it is. Life is not, I've learned this very early on and continue to, life does not give a shit that I stopped drinking and getting high. Right. Life is going to continue to offer plenty of opportunities incessantly without reservation to enlighten me as to where I have opportunities to grow, what skills and coping strategies are working, which ones no longer are, how I'm showing up in the world when I'm stressed, when I'm feeling calm, when I'm feeling grounded, when I'm feeling scared. So we gonna, we're going to use these environments in the woods, in the trails, on the rivers, on the mountains, on the bikes, on the rope, on the raft, on the paddleboard. And we're going to even, even, um, snowshoes. We've only used them once, but I'm holding on to them. Cause it, <laughs> that's, that's a rare, that's a rare occasion in Asheville, man. We were on the Blue Ridge Parkway on snowshoes once. It was amazing. That's and, so cool. Uh, but, but let's use these, you know, let's lean into the science of awe. Let's lean into that, like that shoulders back, shoulders down a little bit, that, that slight release of tension in my stomach. Right. Where I, I just have permission to be me, just a person confused, scared, happy, confident, whatever it is, but just permission to be. Let's practice that on top of Tenant Mountain. And then let's set some intentions about how to practically implement that in your life when you're not on the mountain. Because, it's I mean, that's not practical. That's it's a great experience. And it's a great way to like somatic, like on a cellular level experience, being calm and grounded. But, and I say this all the time, if, if I got to drive an hour plus and then hike four and a half miles to get to the top of a mountain to feel calm, integrated, grounded, and, and able to, uh, to access my prefrontal cortex to make informed decisions about what to do next, I'm not going to get a damn thing done in any given day. It's not that sustainable. <laughs> no, I got to be yeah. able to do that stuff when I'm picking up takeout and they fucked up my order and I go back to my car and there's a parking ticket on the car. And while I'm scrambling to get pissy about it and find my keys, I drop my wrong takeout order on the floor. That's when I have to engage this stuff. I, I, it needs to be practical implementation. It's, a, it's really hard. And if, if I'm in a program that is like really robust and, and amazing and provides like really good access points and practice opportunity for that, and it's, it's theoretical, we have observed that there's that shift from the theoretical kind of protected bubble into practical implementation and community integrated, you know, experience of it. There's a lot of misstep there and there's a lot of, um, turbulence there. And by able, by, by, by offering something that modulates from wilderness immersion, right. In this, in that environment, natural environment, which is our classroom, which is our container, and then sending you home and letting you practice it. And we'll see you in two days and we'll talk about what worked and what didn't work. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can practice in real, like real time. Well, this shit worked. This is good self-regulation skills. And then I get home or I get to my halfway house or my dorm and somebody ate my captain crunch or somebody doesn't do their laundry or they keep leaving dirty dishes in the sink or all the stuff that in the moment. And I, I was there, I've been there in the moment feels like such a personal affront to my being as a, as a, as, as a, a member of humanity. 
I lose my shit and I can't stand it. Well, we just on the top of that mountain practice ways to self-regulate, practice ways to self-identify the emotional experience that I'm having and to articulate that in a respectful pro-social way. Here's a great opportunity to practice that stuff. And then on Wednesday, we'll talk about what worked and what didn't work. And odds are it didn't work because you didn't try it, right? Well, cool. Well, let's talk about what got in the way of you trying it. I mean, this is just this is just like frequency of contact with our programming, frequency of opportunity to practice these these hard skills, right? And a lot of soft skills too, like this emotional awareness, intelligence, and communication skills. Like these are to be a human among humans is is independent of a relationship to substances is not an easy task. And that's where you get the emotional sobriety or whatever term people want to use for that versus the the abstinence from from substance. You know, it's they're, they're two completely different things. And I think a lot of people, it takes them time to get into that and realize that through their their abstinence from substances. Right. I love hearing that, you know, your, your story of just like being able to show up and go to the hike and be you know, thoroughly in that moment and, and be there and feel that and turn that into what you've turned it into and, and grown, you know, out of your experience, looking forward to every Sunday, you've been able to, to channel that and turn it into this thing. I think it's, it's really admirable and it's, it's a really powerful story. I, I think my biggest question after hearing, you know, kind of your, your journey story is what is it like, it worked for you to be outside hiking, right? Sure. And like we talked about, that can be different things for different people, right? It can be different outdoor activities. It could be, you know, learning how to do, I, I, I got into woodworking right when I got sober nice. uh, to go along with my outdoor activities. There are all sorts of things that, that you can kind of pour yourself into and, and learn through. What do you think makes it, un- or what do you think is unique, maybe nothing, about being in the outdoor space from all of your experiences that you've had that allows you to use the outdoor space in such a, such a way to teach people these powerful tools. Because, you know, we talk to or I talk to people all the time here and, and through my life that have, you know, really similar experiences to yours where they go get outside and it works for them and they continue to grow and learn and, and do all that emotional sobriety work because of that. But it's never like through an intentional educational application like like you're doing with people so people get there on their own but but what makes i guess what makes it such a good place to teach this stuff being outside i mean there's some cool science behind it right like there's a some some i think it's a a pheromone that's released by pine trees that has like a, a positive impact on on the um on the emotional on the release of of chemicals in the human brain that that add to calming and, and self-regulation there's i can't remember the scientist but there's the the movement moving water can reverse ionic charges right of of water yeah our bodies are 70 percent water or whatever percentage scientists say it is now so if i'm near a waterfall and i'm feeling some kind of down way like literally on a cellular level i'm becoming positive by being near moving water i mean there is a there is a underlying connectivity between our emotional responses to the environments that we find ourselves in. And I think that the natural environment also is a, is a kind of like when I was saying life doesn't give a shit that I got clean and sober, like the natural consequences of decisions that are made in nature 
they're not malevolent. They're not vicious. They, they, there's no second agenda. It is just a, a really benign container for decision, action, um, as a result of that decision, consequence of that decision, you know, I wore these shoes when I was going Creek crossing, these shoes don't have grip. I'm going to slip on this rock and my foot's going to get wet. I could, or maybe I brought extra wool socks. Maybe I didn't, you know, uh, luckily our guides probably did, but like these are natural consequences and it's a really good practice environment because I think, you know, I'll, my foot will slip off the rock and go into the Creek and I'll cuss at the, at the river, you know, like motherfucker, this fucking rock, all that stuff. And then I realize, you know, that I don't think the river really had it out for me. I think this was just, all right, next time I'm probably not going to forget to wear the right shoes next time. So the, the, the emotionally detached consequences of the decisions that I make when I'm in the natural environment are one of the um, most supportive and effective training grounds uh, for how to interact with life. I think that it's a, it's a condensed environment, right? Like I'm still in a, um, it's a microcosm of a larger scale experience that I'm having. Like for now I'm at this trailhead. I'm on this, I'm on this trail. We're going to this overlook or this waterfall. And then we're going to turn around and come back, or maybe it's a balloon or a loop. And that is a kind of a, a prescribed container to really check into the experience as opposed to like being mindful every, every moment of every day, as I walk through the day, that's, that's a big task. It's exhausting to be honest, but the natural consequences that arise from any decision that I make, and those aren't punitive, you know, like the consequence of me being tired, but taking enough breaks on the switchbacks to get to the top of uh, looking glass rock. The consequence of that is the accomplishment that I made. Like I climbed a mountain today. I'm this high up. Those are hawks, right? Like, and they're at eye level with me. And that is something that I achieved. So it's not only the, the, you know, the less than ideal or less than immediately embraced consequences of slipping on the rock and getting your foot wet and sunk, sinking your shoe into the river. It's also twin falls. There's 200 plus foot waterfalls, like two and a half miles into Pisgah forest. Like there's no reason for them to be there. They're in the middle of the woods. You turn the corner and there's two gigantic waterfalls right in front of you. It's inspiring. It's, it's worthy for me to pause, usually take out my phone and take a picture of or a selfie in front of it, <laughs> whatever it may be. But how often do I have in this world an invitation to pause? Absolutely. Not much causes me or, or inspires me to stop. More often than not, the view, I mean, half the reason it takes four times longer than it should to get anywhere on the Blue Ridge Parkway is that somebody in a minivan from Florida, sorry, Florida, is stopping, not at the overlook. Well, I think most of the rentals are also Florida plates too, but like <laughs> no one's pulling off into the overlook to, to see from the parkway what Looking Glass Rock looks like. When you come around that turn at like, you know, mile marker 402 or whatever, and you see it just standing there in the middle of the wood, I mean, it is inspiring. It is awe-inspiring, and people, some slam on the brakes, but people slow down to a crawl to look. The driver who's got loved ones and family members in the car, it is not safe. That's how inspiring and, and effective it is to be in nature. It, it pulls you in. The why behind it, I mean, there's a lot of really cool books, journals, peer-reviewed journals, and PTSD-related journals for the impact of being in the woods that, and, and the positive impact and correlation there is to those who are suffering from PTSD. 
there's a lot of really cool stuff to geek out about. And, you know, the evidence of my experience is like not much else causes me to take pause. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. It's, you know, it's that, that feedback that being outside gives you is it's immediate feedback. Like you said, you know, I always think back to my, my whitewater teaching days and like how there, there's not much more that gives you quicker feedback than when you had a <laughs> kayak whitewater, right? Yeah. And so it's one of those arenas where you get feedback and you can't be mad at a person other than yourself maybe, but like, it's like your, 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 your story about wanting to go back to Boston and being mad at everybody, right? It's like when you're outside and you're getting feedback, you can't, you can't be mad at it. It's nature. It is what it is. And it's just a really good arena for it. I think you're, you're spot on there with that. And I love geeking out on trying to read all those things and, and <laughs> see all the research and the, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. Like, I think it's, there's another one that's, that's not counter to biophilia, but I can never remember the name of it, but just the concept that because we are nature, like we're part of nature. So there is a, a, a resonance between our, our molecular structure and that of the woods. Um, I mean, kind of fact, like we are all part of this intricate web. So maybe that sense of awe, maybe that like, oh man, or that wow, maybe that wow is the recognition of the connection that I have to everything outside of me in a world and in an environment and in a particularly in this area, in this country, in a, in a culture where the desire is to stand out, to stand alone, to be, you know, lone wolf, to, to, um, prop myself up. There's nothing wrong with that. Like confidence, pride, all that stuff is valuable. I mean, it's, it's what helps motivate me to continue to go, to strive. And I think that being in the natural environment, and as you said, there's other access points to this. I'm less familiar with them. They don't resonate as strongly with me, but being in the natural environment is, is it a, a tangible on a cellular level? I am connected. I am one of great expansion, right? My problems, maybe I can reprioritize them. And, you know, and, and running down section nine in a raft, if I'm with a house, you know, a group of kids who are all in the same house, like I get it. He, he stole your shoes. He screwed up your whatever. He broke your <laughs> laptop. If we can't put that stuff aside, we're going to hit that rock and there's going to be a yard sale in the middle of section nine. So like, yep. like let's, let's just realize what's going to happen. Like figure it out quickly for a minute here. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's beautiful. Man, I I could I could kind of just keep talking about that forever, but <laughs> I feel I feel like I've got to I've got to hit you with the last couple of questions here. Um sure, sure. one of the main things I want to make sure that we get is how can people help uh help your program and and get involved if they have the ability or the means or the the interest to do so. Sure. So, I mean, our our website is pivotpointwnc.org. We do a hundred percent subsidized work with our county, which is Buncombe County um, in Asheville, North Carolina, and, and we're beginning to do work in the surrounding counties. That subsidy fund exists because of grants, because of corporate sponsorships and collaborations, and because of private donations. Um, so we are we are always uh, open and, and willing, and and we we accept all donations graciously. Um, we also have, this is cool, we have an e-trader account so people can 
can donate do uh, stock gifts which is wow uh, you're you're with the times man i mean you know it's 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 about staying open somebody somebody yeah, had yeah. had offered to support and that was the way in which that they chose to support so we offer wow. stock gift receipts um that's cool so people can donate that way um volunteering advocacy ambassadorship like helping to get the word out about the work that we do we're about to take some steps to enter into the local high school system, hopefully, uh, to do some earlier intervention work. We currently work with adjudicated youth, so court-involved adolescents, high school students, and we're hoping to work with a similar population, but about one decision or two decisions before there's a court counselor involved. So advocacy and, and ambassadorship in that regard is always welcome. And then if those uh, those folks who are over 18 and and some of what we've been talking about today resonates with them. Um, we offer and are starting next month a brand new standalone intervention that is a it's a private pay intervention, so it is not yet able to um, benefit from the subsidy funds that we have. Those are tied up with county county and state contracts at the moment. But the private pay fund or program, excuse me, is called the Pivot Point Program. You can read all about it on our website. It's a it's an outpatient intervention, three days a week, about six hours a day for six weeks. Um, there's supportive housing involved, and we we go hiking, mountain biking, rock climbing, paddleboarding, whitewater rafting, whatever the the current season and and um, and weather provides. Snowshoeing, snowshoeing, yeah. <laughs> and it is designed. I mean, we've got a, an extensive curriculum that was created by licensed clinicians, and it is designed to either restart, reboot, and refresh an existing um, awareness of self-regulation skills, emotional intelligence, and awareness and communication, identifying core values and trying to take it a step further and identify when my decisions and actions are moving me towards those core values or away from those core values. Um, There's a reset opportunity in in this intervention, and we can provide that for the individual. And we also have a um, a family track version of that same six week program, which includes uh, parent clinical coaching as well as family clinical coaching. So we can really work on the whole family system. So the website, from my perspective, is very um, informative to the details. We've got sort of an FAQ page on there that would answer questions about cost and housing and the needs or concerns around substance use or specific diagnoses and. Um, and then usually what I end up doing is just giving people my cell phone because uh, yeah. if I can pick up the phone and talk to anybody, uh, you know, it's it's possible that our work would not be a good fit for those who are, who are at various stages of, of healing. And I don't know an awful lot of people, but I know the people that I know know an awful lot of people. So I'm always happy to help uh, somebody navigate a really complicated and potentially confusing world of um, of support systems that are out there. So. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I love it. The website has it all. That's that's the way to do it, man. You're doing it right. I like it. Okay, so so my final question then, and yeah. we'll we'll leave on this one is what's like one piece of advice or the main piece of advice you would give to somebody who is in a situation similar to where you were when you were headed out of Boston on your way to to the recovery program in Florida, somebody who's in that struggle spot. Oh, the prior two yeah, the stepping into change. Oh man, um, I would probably want to tell anyone out there that that they 
they're stronger and more resilient than they give themselves credit for being even in that moment, even in that dark despair, hopelessness, whatever it might be. That really is, that really is the jumping off point. I think to have gone through in whatever that looks like, but to have gone through and stepped through everything that's led up until that point, um, there still is opportunity. There still is, there's hope. I don't, Hope doesn't need, I don't need to see hope for its existence to be there. Um, there's a wood, there's a wood brothers. I think it's wood brothers. No, it's Joe pug. I don't know if you know that artist, Joe. I know wood brothers. I don't know Joe. Pug. I I couldn't tell you what the name of the song is, but one of the lines that I've always appreciated is, is, um, as long as you're not finished, you can start all over again. I like that a lot. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's super true. And I, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate you sharing your story with us and, and everything about it. Um, so I just want to make sure that, that we say thanks before we take off. And I hope that you uh, hope you get to escape your desk for a little <laughs> bit at some point today. I, I share that hope. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. So I just want to say thanks again to Matt for being with us on Nature Untold. That was a wonderful conversation. And I think the thing that really stood out to me the most from our conversation was that phrase that, that Matt used talking about his, his first hike. And I think he said it was, it was a beautiful combination of scenarios. And I, I like to think of that and, and spend some more time you know, focusing on that thought because I think it's so powerful, his story going on that first hike or for the people that, that he's helping get out into nature, you know, that first experience can be so important to get to a place where you're willing to meet a given situation with a sense of openness and, and willingness. I think there's so much power there. And we've heard that time and time again here on Nature Untold. So I just, I think it's worth remembering whether you're new to recovery or if you're just considering sobriety or if you have years and years of sobriety under your belt, it's, it's worth remembering, you know, approaching situations with that sense of openness and, and being willing to see where, where a combination of scenarios might lead you in your life. We also want to say thanks to you for listening and thanks for leaving your reviews and sharing the show. You know, the only way we're able to do this is because y'all share it and you help spread the word. So thanks so much for that. We'll see you next time.